um, hopefully today um, we will get a different perspective on it um, than what we've been, where we come with it today. So today I want to tell you, okay, so first of all, let me tell you all some news. So my dad is a huge Sherlock Holmes when it comes to ancestry. He has been researching my family roots for like five years, six or whatever it's been. It's been like almost a decade and he'll travel to different parks. Um, can y'all hear me? Let me see. Can y'all hear me now? Okay. I don't know. Um, is that good, Daryl? I've got a message to speak louder. Um, um, okay, so my dad is a huge, huge um, ancestry buff. So in the past week, he found out that we have, he can trace roots to my family all the way back to Alfred the Great um, and also a, a princess of Wales person. So y'all, royalty, roy for real royalty. So this is, when I went, I went from like Kara, like who was plain Kara, whoever, to my dad saying, Kara, we have document proof that this is our ancestor and all this stuff. And so what there's been a buzz around our dinner table or every time we talk on Zoom, well, at least for me and my dad, because my dad and I are really into this kind of stuff. And so I'm learning. So like, I just, I didn't know that about myself, right? And I'm learning as I get older that when I start knowing this a full story of all aspects of a person or a situation that's going on and choose to explore that, the story comes alive in different facets and there's different ways to look at it. And I think that first Peter chapter three is not any different than that. So today what I want us to do, <clears throat> is I'm going to dive into this verse, this verse in this chapter, which most of my life, I don't know about y'all, but most of my life has been seen from a very one-sided perspective um, in, in, of the theology coin. It's just been this one-sided. So today I want us to take a look on the other side of the coin, if you will. And so what I do is I invite you to come to the table, to come and explore and to just lay down. Like I know all the baggage um, there might be with this and the experiences with this verse. Um, but what I'm asking you today in all humility is to lay down your swords, your wounds, your resentment, your bitterness, the sadness, anything that this has may has caused. And let us come to the table um, and see what the other another side could be saying. And so the only way I really know how to share another side or another another side of something is by exploring this this approach to interpreting the Bible called feminist hermeneutics. Feminist meaning from the female perspective and hermeneutics meaning interpreting the scripture, um, the Bible or any literary text. So we're going to kind of um, we're going to go a little feminist hermeneutics, y'all. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Um, and so during this approach to female uh, feminist hermeneutics is there's three approaches. There's the reader, there's the text, and then there's the, the context. And so the very first one I want us to tackle is, um, is the reader. And the reader is basically, as we read scripture, we learn to have um, this approach of how to have an informed um, woman's perspective. Um, and so we as a community, both men and women, need to learn how to read the text from this informed perspective. Um, and how to do this lens, we need to ask a few questions. So I'm opening the floor up. Um, y'all unmute yourself or put it in the chat box. The, my first question to y'all is, in general, what factors affect a person's interpretation of reading biblical texts? 
I think a big one is social location. Uh, so someone who is, let's say, higher up on the socioeconomic ladder is going to read scripture and be drawn to things in scripture differently than someone who is on the margins or lower. So social location is a pretty big one. Yeah, social location for sure. And then Kara Wilson says culture. Yes, culture is a huge one for sure. Anything else? Historical culture. Yeah. Um what we've always heard, the way we've always read, um, just the traditions that we come out of, whether it be evangelical, whether it be, um, you know, Catholic or some other uh, approach. Uh, it's what we've always been. It's what I've always heard. It's what I've always been taught. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Exactly. You said that too is. Gender, ethnicity, y'all know what I'm saying. Y'all got it, you know. Um, so one yeah. thing oh, from my perspective is where you, what your relationship with faith, like church community, the Bible itself is. Um, you can likely read many things and find what you're looking for if it is with fear or with suspicion or with joy or whatever, whatever you are feeling about, you know, the source of the text, maybe it's the author in the case of the Bible, maybe it's the faith itself or your experience with the church. It is easy to confirm positive or negative things that you feel, um, especially in a, I would say particularly charged, um, set of texts like this like if you have an experience and say oh the church is pretty sexist and misogynist and keeps women down then you're going to say yep and here's the the verse they like to refer to to back themselves up and so you know got it that is what it's all about and i don't know that is you know if you are i don't know i I am interested to see the direction it goes but i'm sure there are other (laughs) other interpretations possible um, but it can be very sort of confirming of that kind of suspicion. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, which is the great, like to me, th- that's the double-edged sword of the Bible as a text. It's like, that's the greatest thing about it is there's like, it never, there's so many depths to it of like finding things that can help to transform your own life. And it's been used against us and different um, populations, you know, and all that at the time. Um, so my next question is, and I think we're going to, we're kind of dipping into it is what has been y'all's both men and women, what has been your experience with these verses in first Peter chapter three throughout your lifetime recently, whatever it may be. And I think, um, John says as a single man, that is just an odd part of the Bible. Like the, this, the wives versus submit to your husband's type thing. I mean, yeah. Okay. So what has been, yeah. So that's, that's part of John's experience. So what has been y'all's experience um, with these verses? Because I think that that's a part of this is um, we have to acknowledge that before we can kind of be open to hearing other, other ways, you know? So. Um, it was always addressed to the women, not men. And in all things, you have to submit to the man. But I, I would add to that from the male perspective, there's been 
I don't know, we have approached it so flippantly in a joking way as a put down. Uh, Hey, yeah, you know, you need to start calling me Lord. Yeah. I mean, really, is that really the point of this text or, or is there another point that may take less text Mm. to address because there was much more danger of men abusing their wives in that culture than there was of, of wives abusing their husbands in that culture. The men and still do in many cases, men have the upper hand uh, mm-hmm. in all. Yeah. No, yeah, that's really, I mean, it's important to know both female perspective and male perspective on the experiences of this verse, because um, like every, like all the other women out there, I sat in the pews. And when I knew that this was going to be a sermon, I, my blood pressure went up, you know, so, cause I knew like Daryl saying, it's been joked, it's been this and that. And so, and that's really sad. Like that makes me really sad that we've done that. That's happened. Um, yeah. So anybody else, their experience Val. Yeah, I really um, hate this verse and this set of verses. And uh, she assigned it to herself to read. By the way, that was <laughs> voluntary. I, um, I just, I. It's in the past. It's always been used for, for me at least, about like uh, why women have to be a certain way, why they can't do certain things, why they're basically inferior, and. Um, to me, it always was a, a reason, like used as a reason of like, this is why, this is why you can't do things. And like, God, you're, you're just, as, you're not as strong. You're not capable. And, um, yeah, I, I struggle a lot when I hear this verse. I don't understand, um, why it's there or how a God that is, um, loving and, thinks of everyone as equal would include such instructions like this. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, Sarah. And then I'm going to some more men experience because that's something I don't have. I don't know much about. So, so Sarah go. And then if more guys want to just one or two more guys, cause I'm just curious about their experience with this verse. Um, I kind of along the same lines of what Val said, it just kind of like, it was like, this is the way that it is. Like there wasn't even necessarily a like, Oh, let's, let's look at this verse and let's think about it and let's investigate it. It was like, here's the verse that says wives are to submit. And like, it just says it. So that's what's supposed to happen. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Blanket trump card. Mm, Good. Uh, Miles. Yeah, so, you know, I was thinking about this as, as we've been sharing today, and I, I think also, you know, from a male perspective, I've also always been very uncomfortable with this verse, naturally. I mean, just from what it seems to say versus what we in, sort of intuit as should be the right path here, but also, like, as a man reading this, like, what is my role supposed to be like, like in this, like, okay, we're supposed to receive this submission and do what with it. And so there's a, there's a discomfort for me of what does that actually interplay with? And so, you know, to Daryl's point, I completely agree. I think the tendency there is to just take a very 
sophomoric approach to it of just to, to make a joke of it or say, Oh, you should call me Lord. And I, you know, am guilty of as a kid on, on, you know, when this was preached on, you know, just yeah. sort of making a joke of it because, because I'm really, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with the, the underlying construct of what that truly means from a female perspective and from a male perspective. Yeah. So thus perpetuating the patriarchal mentality of all the underlying stuff that happens in our, um, in our life. Yeah. John, and then I'll, we'll not go. just, not just this passage, but a related passage. I think it's Ephesians says submit one to another. And in 40 years, I've hardly heard that verse mentioned. Mm. They skip right over it and jump into the other mess. And I went, hello, hello. He started the paragraph before that was submit one to another. Ignore it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I want to slap some pastors, not preachers for that. <laughs> I do. I went, yeah. you know, I'm, I mean, I'm so grateful when I was in uh, uh, school that I had a good teacher that taught, you know, uh, uh, reading comprehension. You pay attention to what's written. You don't, you don't just skip the parts you don't like. You, that's not good. Yes. Yeah. Um, Sarah? I agree. What? Uh, I was just wanting to point out, too, that in that text, one thing that we ignore more than anything else is the word or the phrase in the same way. Yeah. Husbands in the same way. And that kind of goes back to the Ephesians 5, 21, that you are to submit one to another. Yeah. It, it's not, it's not one is more important or more powerful. Uh, this is a very different approach to the text than has been traditionally done. Yeah. And I think, um, I think for today, like there, um, today I'm going to really dive into the feminist perspective as it relates to the verses before that, because I think that there's been a lot of mis, I mean, we've talked about this, a lot of misuse and a lot of hurt with the women, the the verses that all that Peter talks about with those verses. So the next piece of, yeah, y'all, thanks for sharing your experiences. I really appreciate it. I don't come into verses like this lightly. I know, I know the baggage. I know the experiences um, mm -hmm, um, from all sides. So I appreciate y'all telling me the experiences y'all have had with that. Um, so this next piece of feminist hermeneutics is um, is called is the the text part of it. And so when you are when we're looking at a text from this feminist perspective, the the focus is to um, with the text is to equip. Like my goal, the goal of this is to equip us as the readers to not exclude women from the biblical text. Um, and how to, how do we include them in the kingdom work, um, whether consciously or unconsciously? Because I think too, I, I don't know about y'all, but very unconsciously, there's a lot of times I think I've read the Bible and I still have a hard time and struggle for like, that's, that's even me. You know what I mean? And not even like these verses are just focused on like women, but like verses that are for the whole general public. Like, I don't, I don't always know that these verses have been, the Bible has always been for me because it's never been, from my experience, very like growing up in my formative years, it hasn't been taught by 
a female a whole lot, right? So I'm still, that's still a journey for me in this. And so how in the text from this perspective, um, interpreting the Bible, do we do it where we can start including women's voices, women's um, thinking about how do women get in here and why there's more complexity to these um, these issues than we sometimes think over? Because I think someone said it earlier, is we just brush over it. And you're like, well, that's the verse. Okay, Peter, thanks, got it, check, you know, that sort of thing. So, so in order to open our minds to um, including women, I want us to think about women who have inspired us or um, that we that we love in in the Old Testament. So who is who are some women in the Old Testament that you admire? Holda. Tell me why. Holda is a prophet of the Lord. I mean, she is one that people have ignored for years, but she is seen not as this sideline over here that has no no power, no strength. She is the one that they uh, deferred to. She's the one that gave the word of the Lord to the king. And, you know, they didn't say, okay, Isaiah, come over here and tell us what we're supposed to do. They said, hold up. You're a prophet. And you have a role to even instruct the king mm. on what to do. And we ignore Holda. It's like, who is that? Right. That's good. Who else? Who else in the Old Testament do y'all admire a woman? I love it. I love it. Thanks, Daryl. She's a good one. Thanks. Come on, y'all. You can even say, like, the obvious ones. I could even do that one. <laughs> I always liked, growing up, I always liked Deborah, just because I, like, she was the only female judge, and I thought it was cool that she had a, like, position of leadership. Yeah. And she's got a whole book about her. Like, let's be real. <laughs> and side note, for the, for all y'all who want to really geek out, there's a lot of books um, out there, ancient texts that are written by women, prophets, and things like that, that did not get into the canon. So that, we'll, we'll keep talking about that in a minute. Maybe. Um, who are, okay, so Old Testament, so start, if y'all don't know a whole lot of amazing women in the, in the Old Testament, start digging into the Old Testament. I love, I mean, I'm a, I think Charles knows this, but I'm a huge Old Testament person, but, um, yeah, like start look, start digging up the women that nobody knows about, like Daryl mentioned, and, and even the ones that did that Val mentioned. Um, I encourage y'all to do that. Okay, shifting New Testament. Who are some New Testament women that were like, oh yeah, I admire you. You're oh, I'm on recording, so I'll keep it clean. You're the boss. <laughs> I was gonna do a little Snoop Dogg, but then I decided not to. Um, who are some New Testament women that you admire over the years? Have you read through the biblical text? Um, I would say for me, um, three come to mind. Chloe, who we named our daughter after, who led a house church in Corinth. Yeah. Uh, Junia, who is a female apostle that's mentioned at the end of Romans. And uh, Priscilla who is a, a boss of a teacher and a leader. Yeah. That's good. Anybody else? Oh, 
Okay, so now, who are women that you know in your life in modern time, whether you personally know them or like women from afar that that inspire you? And then, yeah, who inspire you? Uh, Emma had one. Yeah. Come um, on, Emma. Well, I didn't want to share, but here we are. <laughs> um, I was said Alicia Keys, who wasn't inspired by her. Oh, yeah. Love her. Yes. Mm-hmm. Soulful powerhouse. Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of appreciation for Sarah Barton mm. um, at Pepperdine University. Uh, she is really... She's not in your face, but she's very direct and solid scholarship. I, I could sit, I heard her the first time about three or four years ago at Pepperdine. I could sit and listen to her every week, um, teach. She's extremely, extremely talented. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of her. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Anybody else? I have a friend, uh, Jane, who was in my old Sunday school class. She's in her 90s, um, and just she um, kind of took me in originally as, like, a granddaughter type, but I just um, – I don't know what I will be like when I'm 90, um, but she definitely, like, is – she's still, like, teaching ESL classes for families. She's um, – I don't know. She sends cards in the mail, like for every birthday, like letting people know that she cares about them. Like she's just a really, like, I would say passionate driven person, but not in a very like attention getting kind of way. She's just a person who, um, who loves people well. Mm, that's good. Yeah. Okay. Thank y'all for sharing. So traditionally these verses in first Peter three, they've, they have excluded the female participation and the inspiration in the church history, I would even say, um, based on how they've been taught. Um, there are many, many different approaches to how feminist scholars approach interpreting biblical texts. But one that is mostly used is one that where we first and foremost, we just acknowledge we're like, hey, women did a seat at the table to create or develop or gather the canon. And so so we we were not the creators of that. However, the role that we have been given is interpreters and recipients of the canon. Um, and, and, and so we have that process. We, we go through that as women. We have the opportunity to go through the process of reading and interpreting and creating the text from our perspective. Um, and so here's kind of an example using this first Peter three verse of how we kind of can do that. Um, we can begin to include women in the biblical text and in not and to learn how to not exclude them. Um, from being influencing the kingdom work, right? So in first Peter four through seven, Peter talks about how rather let your adornment be your inner, your rather let your adornment be the inner self with the lasting beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, et cetera, et cetera. And then he alludes to, um, he alludes to Sarah, Abraham's wife as being this virtuous person who does that, right? Um, 
as you kind of read past through the text. And so what Peter's doing here is what he's kind of, he's saying is like, hey, if y'all want a tangible example of what appropriate appropriate submission looks like, um, then it's by starting your proper dress and adornment. And that demonstrates this, right? And so... So he pulled, so he just, he says, so she's a great example of this way to go women. Now, you know, right. And here's the deal though. Like if you like Sarah, if he's calling Sarah, cause he says, does he say like other in some, in some texts he says, um, among other women in the, in the, among other women, Sarah was like this, but I, I personally cannot think of another woman throughout the Bible who responds in this way as Sarah does. And so when Peter, when Peter is saying, Sarah and all these other women, I'm like, dude, the other women that I know are like the Debras and the like woman that chop, chops her husband's head off. Like these are not women who are like in this way with Sarah. So like there's, so basically it's not a very simple example. And so by the text, you start, you have to start asking yourself, is there more to Sarah than calling Abraham Lord? Like there's gotta be. And so, um, so my question to y'all is, as you kind of think about Sarah and maybe the life she lived and the time that she lived it and all the things we know about her in the Old Testament, what are other traditions other than the one that Peter brings up that could have been valued by the women in the community that first Peter is talking to? Let's just daydream. Let's just dream. What might be some other other qualities about Sarah? Can you rephrase the question for me? Like Peter, so Peter is saying, hey, Sarah was a submissive wife by, by obeying her husband, Lord Abraham, and, and all of her dormant and all that. And so the question is, is what are, what are some maybe other, other things? Like let's, let's expand that of like who was Sarah? Who might have Sarah been other than just like this obedient, submissive person to Abraham? That the women, the the Christians in Asia Minor might have really grabbed onto about Sarah, the a matriarch. Does that help? I find the choice of Sarah a strange choice. Yeah. Of, of you know, quiet submission. Doing everything Abraham said, uh, I got news. That's not the Sarah I'm looking at in the Old Testament. I mean, she has a very different picture than just, oh yeah, just run over me. That's, that's not the picture I get of her. So what is, what are the, what, what is the picture that you do get of her? She says what to Abram. <laughs> she tells him the way this is supposed to happen. And I'm not, you know, you know, here, you need to do this. You need to do that. Uh, no, I don't, yeah, she, she was not what I would typically call someone that a 20th century or 21st century patriarchal kind of, you know, obey me woman really would have in mind. Yeah. To be quite honest. Yeah. So speaking her mind, going against the grain, taking the initiative. To me, those are parts of Sarah that I, I can read when I read the old Testament, you know, anything else? What resonates with me is that she was required to be patient like we are. I mean, dear God, I thought this quarantine had to be over with by now and it ain't over yet. 
I'm thinking, well, she had to sit and sit and sit and sit and wait and hope and wait and wait. Yeah. Yeah, and she didn't always do it perfect, but, like, she she did it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she had a lot of courage, Um, you know, in different situations, there's a lot of courage there. And so here's the thing with this part of this text as we're reading it through this perspective is asking these kinds of questions when reflecting on the, on the text brings to light that the complexity such as topics such as submission, the exercise of power, the challenges of living in a foreign land, um, that it's not like there's something that the women in the first Peter could relate to easily. There's just layers and layers of complexity more than just like, Hey, Hey y'all, Sarah, like all these other women, this is how she submitted to Abraham, that it's so much bigger than that. And there's so much more levels to that. And exactly like, I don't, I don't understand either Daryl, why he picks Sarah um, because that like that, that's like one piece of Sarah who maybe obeyed Abraham. And then there's like all this other stuff as well as, so these, these issues are that in the text are not as flippant or simple as we think that there's a lot of complexity to them through this view. And so by reflecting on the women who came before in the old Testament and their qualities help us start to paint a picture of the complexities of the female role in the community of first Peter, right? So there's a lot of complexity that's going on in Asia minor with this community that Peter is talking about, especially, I mean, not especially, but we, uh, and then the women have their um, side of it, right? So here's part of this part is like when we don't acknowledge the female bravery, the female courage, the female, um, all the things that these women weathered and endured throughout the Bible, it still allows the patriarchal voice to be the dominant voice in the text that has been going on for so many centuries. When in actuality, the Bible should be seen as the, like a kaleidoscope where there is many different facets of God's people and their work in the kingdom. So there's women who are named and unnamed throughout the Bible. And so there's even women who are unnamed and unnamed, of course, in the old, in the, in the, in the Old Testament. So there's women such as Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Leah and Zilpah and Bilpah and Bathsheba and Tamar and all these names. And they were each filled with qualities that we often do not stop and recognize. And sometimes we even see them in these situations that leaves them powerless and voiceless and weak. And I would say, that that still allows the patriarchal undertones of the, of the canon to live. I think the matriarchs, um, these are the matriarchs of faith, and these are the women and their complexities and all that they went through and all of their journey, um, that these are the ones who bring about the journey that Peter is, they set the path and the narrative for the women who are in First Peter um, chapter 3. And so first Peter chapter three talks a lot about one of a new identity and there's a high calling that I believe Peter is asking um, the women in Asia minor in this community to step into this matriarchal, um, this matriarch of faith arena. He's asking them to do some pretty big things that I don't think we know about or the things that we don't even dig deep in and stop and think about for a moment. Um, make sure I'm hold on. Stop. So the last part of this piece is as we're reading through with this lens is the context. And the context is, is this idea of how do we help us reframe a woman, a woman's place in the early church and then even helping us find our place in the church tradition today. And how can we be open to what that possibly might um, be, what that possibly might look like? 
just trying to find and make sense of what is Christianity and how women are part of that story too, just as much as men are. So here's my question for this conversation. This is where have you seen women find their place in the church tradition? Uh, I sat in on a class at um, uh, Pepperdine last year, I think, and they're talking about uh, the history of the churches of Christ and how often it was actually women who start, who were the church that like started the churches. Mm-hmm. So they were like gathering their female friends and then they would kind of get a, a big enough group of women and then they would hire a pastor or hire a preacher. And so, so then it would be said that the preacher started that church when it was, actually the women who started the church and um and then brought the preacher on so i thought that was an interest i don't doubt that (laughs) at the end of that passage notice what it says so that your prayers are not blocked i know a lot of men that don't give a ding dong about their prayers being blocked they can go out there and do the world and prayer is like it's, it's a supplemental dessert they can take it or leave it but most women I know, prayer is like first or second or third on the agenda. Thank you very much. Anybody else? I, I think, oh, sorry. What? Oh, I think our mainline Protestant brothers and sisters got it, uh, did a lot more than my tradition, Church of Christ, have in that 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, women were invited into positions of leadership, um, seeing that. And all of this is seeing sort of uh, gifts being born and bearing fruit and acknowledging it um, and coming over the really big, difficult hurdle of all the different contexts that we read in Scripture and understanding how the Spirit works today. So I, I think in the mainline the traditions, um, they got it decades ahead of any yeah. of us. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. There's one thing that I've seen. First of all, contemporarily, I think of our our group here and the just the egalitarian nature of this congregation. All voices are welcome, uh, which is great. I think of the best sermon I have ever heard in my life on the woman at the well, and that was Emma's. Incredible. Uh, it was just the best ever. And I've heard a lot of sermons, and I've preached a few sermons on that particular topic. Uh, yes, high five. <laughs> uh, and uh, But I also have an interesting perspective in that I was a youth minister for six years in a little church. Well, it wasn't little. It was about 600 folks. Um, in Fedville, Tennessee. Fedville, Tennessee, the home of a lady by the name of Selena Holman. In the late 1800s, early 1900s, her husband was an elder at, uh, at this church. And the same church I, I was working at, not back then, of course, but, uh, and I remember reading a book that featured a chapter it was called Distant Voices, featured a chapter on this lady, Selena Holman. I was talking to an old um, old guy that was a member of our congregation. He, at that time, he was in his 80s, 
His name was Higgins, and he owned a funeral home. And I said, hey, did you ever know of Selena Holman? He said, oh, Lady Holman, I'll show you where her grave is. <laughs> I remember her. Uh, she was one that um, she would debate David Lipscomb in his uh, in the Gospel Advocate. And to his credit, David Lipscomb published every one of her letters. <laughs> and he would say it gives one the blues to read Sister Holman's articles. <laughs> but he would say, you know, women are more emotionally tied to the family. And she says, poppycock. I know women who are horrible people. You know, <laughs> and, he, and he'd say, well, you know, a woman can teach two or three men in her home. And she would say, if she can teach two or three men in her home, she could teach 200 in an auditorium. You know, let's get over this. You know, an incredible lady that I wished that uh, I could get in a time machine and go back just to meet this lady. Yeah. She, she was something else from all counts. Yeah. So there's been, so there's been women who have come into the tradition and been a part of church history along the way. And so in this context, um, where I feel like Peter's going to invite women into being a part of the early church history is he, he addresses three ideas. He talks about their new identity as a community. So this is what he's addressing all of the, all of the Christians in Asia Minor that, Hey, you've got a new identity and your community, and we gotta, we're gonna, we gotta sustain this Christian community, right? So he talks about that. And then we're gonna, we are, we're gonna talk about the wives accept the authority, um, verse. And then he also has, um, this idea where he uses a lot of birth and, and rebirth imagery, um, and birthing imagery. And that's kind of where I feel like some of the women's calling, um, becomes as midwives. So we'll get to that in a minute. So, Community, community as it relates to a new identity. So kind of what is happening in this text is Peter's instructing the Christian community, um, on the basis of their idea of the people of God. So he says a lot of things like, Ecclesia, you are the community. You are a chosen, you know, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. And a lot of that same language goes back to the aliens and exiles of the Israelites back in, in Egypt. Our, Yes, in Egypt. Okay. Um, I was like, nope, but it is. Um, and so he's talking like, hey, we are a community. And yeah, we, there's this idea of we got to stay together and be together and be strong together and sustain one another. And so his hope is that as he's talking about these new identities of like chosen, royal priesthood, holy nation, um, people of God, that this strengthens them as a distinct identity, um, and created as a new people, um, as they kind of suffer and, and wait for the revealing of, um, of Christ. So Peter uses this language as chosen living stone, spiritual house, a chosen people. Like I said, God's special possession, um, addressing them in the, in the sense of like, this is the new you, this is the new you personally, this is the new you as a community. Um, and oh, by the way, like you're all equal because that's what it says according to Galatians and first Corinthians, right? So it would seem that, Women go from zero to hero, just like that reference from Hercules Disney movie. You're welcome. Um, really quickly, right? And so can you imagine just like this idea of going from this, like the status of what women were, and then a man comes along and you start believing in this man named Jesus, and you're called a chosen, a valued 
God's sacred possession, a royal priesthood. These are, this is language that is definitely going against the Roman Empire at this time, right? And so they become, the women start going, holy cow, like valued. Peter's using language, how I'm seen in God's eyes and I'm valued. Best day ever. So here's the deal. I really think if I were to put myself in my, the issues of these women going like who I was in society to now what I could be and what I am, like, I would be telling everybody and everything, and I would even meet, maybe start, like, feeling a little more confident and courageous about my place in society, right? And so I know, no doubt, that there's these women who are so excited, because that's the thing, when you go from nothing to something, like, you want to tell everybody about it, just like me, like, y'all, like, I'm telling, me and my dad, we're telling everyone that we're related to Alfred of Wessex. I mean, we're telling everyone, right? Because, like, holy cow, that sets me apart from people. I don't know. We'll see how many people, you know, but... <laughs> So they grew, so there's this new understanding of themselves. They're not lowly society. There's a new understanding of who they are. They're being recreated into this new identity. Um, and so they go, they, they're becoming, so they go from wandering and lost in a wilderness of patriarchy, archal, archy? I can't, and now are finding fulfillment in the promises of Jesus. Um, and here, and here's the part of the two is, the part of the text, like we got to read the text as a whole again, like Galatians and first Corinthians talk about how we're all equal. Um, okay. And again, side note disclaimer. I know that there's like, just put aside all, just try to just put the feelings that you're feeling aside for like a moment to just keep, keep opening here. And then you can go back to those motions after I'm done talking and that's fine, but just have, just keep opened a little bit. Okay. Okay, cool. Stay with me. But here's where, and so here's where, but here's where the rubber hits the road is Peter's talking to the community, to both men and women in this fashion of how valued they are, what's, how they are seen. And, and it is seriously disrupting the Greco Roman values of the family order. This talk, him talking like this could easily be trouble, could be trouble and slander to the Christian community that Peter's like, Hey y'all, we got to keep this up because we are, we are exiles and strangers in this land. So we, we got to like, we're, we're breaking We are going countercultural to what the great Roman empire is doing now. And, and it even has the, um, the, um, like it's a delicate balance because when people start saying, Hey, Roman officer, I am a Royal priesthood. I'm Royal. I'm chosen. I'm a special, this, like that is language that is traitor, treacherous tra- being traitorish. You're being a traitor y'all. And it's, it's like really, it could be the, the community could start being seen as a cult, immoral, um, inciting riots based on, you know, going against the authority of what is happening to the, you know, with the government. Um, persecution for many, which is super bad. So, so it seems what Peter is saying with part of this community idea and the submission idea is like for the sake of the greater community and its identity, he commands women to submit, but this is the part that the church doesn't always preach about to their unbelieving husbands. So this is the piece of it that we, what, who Peter's talking to. So to submit to their unbelief for the survival of the community. Um, and so I don't know, maybe there was all, like maybe Peter also mentioned this because he noticed that some of the Christian women in the community were like talking to their Gentile sisters and be like, Yo, homegirl, this is the opportunity you got. You come out, you come and be a Christian with us and know Jesus. You're going to be valued. You're going to be equal. You're going to be the same level as your husband. You're going to be all the things. And there's no inequality with G- through Jesus, right? And so there might not have, there's no, um, 
like record or saying of a potential like discrepancy. Um, and so, but, but there could be, but what is happening is there's the resistance of these household, uh, household codes, which the Roman empire really took into, um, consideration. Um, so going against the household codes is very sticky. So understanding subordinate. So now he goes to this idea of um, submission, this word for submission, which is um, the Greek word hypotasa, which also means place or range under to accept the authority of. Um, this is a word that ref- is reflected. It's used five times in these in first Peter. It's used um, and when it's used for ethical settings, such as this one, it is seen as instructions to being obedient to superiors. So God and humans in, in an authoritative um, position. So the power of the Roman empire. So Peter talks to, um, to women, not only women, but to slaves, to people obeying the authority. So obeying the government at the time, he talks about children, all the things. And so um, it seems that Peter's giving instructions to the community to accommodate the structured system in which everyone had their own place. And so the Romans really, really, really clung to this idea of everybody's got a place, everything has an order. They took all this to mean as it relates to the cosmos, right? And so they, and so what, what Peter's asking is that everyone had their own place. And when these places, pieces all hold together in the life of the community, the Christian community would sustain. And that's Peter's focus. So he's looking at the greater, the greater structure, what's happening and basically like, what's some aftermath? What's some consequences that could seriously happen? Because here's the deal. Peter doesn't want the Christian community to die out. Just like, and so he uses a lot of imagery like new birth and new life. And there's a lot of that kind of imagery, especially in the Old Testament. You know, Peter talks about alluding to exile or, um, yeah, exiles and strangers and aliens. Um, And so he's all about sustainability. And so when we focus on, um, on that, okay, let me go back real quick. So the very first word that's used in that these verses is Peter. It says you wives or wives. And the the Greek word for that is where Peter is directly talking to them. He's not talking to like the, the brother over here, like those wives, those women. He's like, hey, women, wives, you know. So it, to me, it suggests like he is talking directly at you with that eye contact of like you matter. There's respect for you. There's, you know, and so I'm going to really, I'm directing you so I see value in you because I'm giving you that eye contact um, that you deserve. Um, so let me go through this real quick. And so he's talking to women about this high calling of what could be happening in this verse. And so he uses a lot of that rebirth um, conversation, like I said. And so he talks about this idea of um, rebirth and all that, something that the women could really relate to, something that women could even relate to so much so as sometimes they had a midwife, right? And so a midwife's qualities were they were that go-between between no life to new life, to being a supportive presence for the woman having the baby during the time. Their job of the midwife's job was to preserve the identity um, of of her, of the person's family, right? To carry on the legacy. And so there are two women, two midwives in Exodus that get named um, Safra and Puya. But these are women who were commanded by the Pharaoh to say, kill all the male 
kill, kill all the male um, Israelites. They didn't. They said, no, we're not going to do that. And so they clung to the Deuteronomy promise, the same as Peter's asking the women, the people in, in, in the Asia Minor community, you are chosen, you are royal. And so these midwives back in the Old Testament must have had a great faith in order to say, we're not letting this community die out, and we have an opportunity to not let it die out. We have an identity to keep the legacy and keep the identity going. Um, he's using this, um, imagery to show the new identity through baptism, through new, new life. Um, and so midwives during this time, Old Testament and were a force to be reckoned with. And so they, like I said, the ones in, the ones in Exodus, they went against the grain with Pharaoh. And as the Israelites were aliens and exiles back in Exodus, so is the Christian community in Asia Minor. And Peter is calling women to save the future of the Christian community, to be guardians of new life. And so my prayer and my hope is that may we as followers of Jesus step into the narrative that is an uncertain one, not looking to good circumstances and become guardians of new life, a go-between for those who have no life and become a presence as a force to be reckoned with um, as we live as aliens and strangers. And knowing we are living stones, a spiritual house, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, we are God's special position, whether male or female, um, may we all step into this role, to this identity. So my hope is, so now y'all can pick up whatever baggage y'all had about those verses, but my hope is bare minimum today that you walk away with going, hey, there is another way to see this verse and in this lens, and it's more complex, and that there is actually a way for um, to interpret the text where um, women in this verse is no longer um, dominated by, um, the male voice. There it is.